Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. The Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our series of lessons from the book of Joshua. If you have a Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 2 and follow along while I read. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them under stalks of flax that she had laid out in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go on your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out by the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath, and you have made us swear. 
And she said, According to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. And the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. In this chapter, Joshua is uh, repeating a scene that he was actually a part of 40 years earlier. And there were going to be spies that go into the land of Canaan and, and see what the situation is. It seems that uh, Joshua may have learned from his experience. There weren't 12 spies this time. There were only two. If you'll remember, there were only two that came back with a good report. Uh, he Joshua and Caleb uh, did so 40 years earlier. But these two spies go into Jericho, they go to Rahab's house, and, and they have an encounter with her where she protects them and, and keeps them from being captured. And these Israelite men swear an oath to her to protect her when the fighting starts. There are several things that we can learn just from this section of Scripture. We'll certainly, as we continue our study, see how the battle unfolds and, and uh, how the uh, different elements of this story play out long term. But there are some lessons that we can learn just in this portion of Rahab's story. First of all, I think that uh, Rahab becomes a, a good metaphor for uh, the world to whom God wants to show grace. Here is a lady who is part of uh, the opposition, who is part of uh, a society that is uh, afraid of God or doesn't want any part of God, that doesn't want any part of the Israelites that are trying to destroy people from Israel. But God says there's something here. We need to pay attention to what's going on and show grace. It's interesting to me that God withholds judgment here on Jericho until he can pull out Rahab. We're told in Scripture that uh, what happens in Canaan while Joshua is in command is a passing of judgment on the people of Canaan. I know sometimes when we read the story, we're a little unsettled by all of the violence, maybe. And why did God go about it this way? And there are several things that we have to bear in mind uh, that may not fully help us understand, but are part of the context of the story. Israel is coming into this land to uh, take it at a time when uh, the world is very violent. The, the way that uh, you made your mark or proved that your God was powerful uh, was to win in battle. We also know that these people in Canaan were descendants uh, from the same Abraham that Israel was. And, and these people had forgotten uh, the God of their forefathers and had started worshiping other gods. And there was a judgment that would come to bear. And so while we may not understand uh, all that was going on here with the violence, we do understand because scripture tells us explicitly, this was a judgment on those people who had rejected God. But God withheld that judgment until he could pull out Rahab. 
And I think it's uh, amazing that God doesn't choose to save only the respectable people, uh, that God places tremendous value on flawed things. Did you notice Rahab's occupation? She was a prostitute. When Jesus came, he hung out with prostitutes. In our day and time, I think sometimes we're tempted to only uh, hang out with people who are at least as good as us, uh, people who we're not ashamed to be seen with, or people who have a respectable reputation. But God doesn't only save respectable people. We need to understand it's those on the margins, those that uh, are the outcasts, those who are participating in, in questionable, if not outright sinful behavior that God is wanting to save. And they can't be saved if God's people don't go to them and and let them know the salvation that's available. That's what these two spies do for Rahab. It's also interesting to me that Rahab put faith in God before the Israelites had even arrived. Rahab had some knowledge uh, of God before these Israelite spies even told her about what was going on. She knew what to expect, and and she trusted that it was going to come about. Uh, So often in our world, we meet people who have some knowledge of God and just need uh, to know what is going to happen next and what they need to do to be rescued. Rahab had put faith in God before Israel had even arrived, And, and that faith in God was in the middle of a hostile society. This was she lived in a place that was absolutely opposed to everything that Israel was about and their God, because in some way it would diminish their identity and who they were as a nation and as a people. In our time right now, we look around and we see a world that is very hostile. There's a lot of anger and violence going on, uh, and it seems to fall along racial and political lines right now. There are certainly people who are even arguing that premise, but there's a lot going on. And when you read social media feeds and you listen to the news, whether it's on a radio or on your television, we don't hear a lot about God and taking a stand for him. It's pick the political side you want to be on and argue it. Regardless of how you see the current circumstances, there is a Christian response to it. And very few people are actually taking a stand in the midst of all of the hostility and doing whatever God wants in these circumstances instead of what seems right to them. So as we look at Rahab and try to understand how to to have this faith in God, How do we pledge allegiance to God in the middle of a hostile society? What is Rahab's example? Well, there are, I think, three things here that uh, we should keep in mind about Rahab that uh, may be good principles for us to keep in mind as we look to pledge allegiance to God. Number one, Rahab took to heart the truth about God. She had heard these stories about God, but they weren't just stories to her. They were things that needed to affect her behavior. Her faith was based on what God had done and what he was doing. So many people who call themselves Christians, who even go to church every week, 
are doing it because it's what they were taught or what they were told or they were in a, a community where that was an important thing and they just kind of went along with the flow. But Rahab here was hearing about experiences with God and understanding the consequences of being on the wrong side of that. And she put her absolute trust in God based on what he had done. If we're going to pledge allegiance to God, if we're going to stand strong for God in the middle of a hostile society, we absolutely have to take to heart those things that God has done. They have to shape our trust in him so that we know when he tells us to do something like love our enemy, we understand that's the best way to do it. Because of all that God's done in the past, this is going to work. When God tells us to give kindness in return for evil, even if it's painful to us, even if we don't understand it, we have to trust God based on all that he's done in the past that he's going to be faithful at this point and in the future, if we go about things his way, Rahab took the took to heart the truth about God. Rahab also took a stand against the surrounding culture, right? Uh, as she looked at the way things would unfold. Over time, she knew her best place was to be with God, even if that meant standing against family and friends, uh, communities where she worked. Uh, All of these things had to be ignored if she was going to make a stand for God because the surrounding culture was against God. See, we've got to expect spiritual warfare while we're in enemy territory, while we're in this world that can be hostile against the things of God, we've got to expect that some of that's going to get on us. The sad thing is that often this is happening in our churches. There are people repeating vile and hateful slogans and mantras as if they have some moral superiority when what they're saying actually goes against Scripture. When people are saying things that are racist, when people are saying things that dehumanize or or, um, oppress other people, when we put others down rather than lift them up, it doesn't matter what the circumstances is. It doesn't matter what they were doing before it happened. We're wrong because we're not doing it God's way. We're doing it the world's way. Are we willing to take a stand against the surrounding culture? And then Rahab acted to save herself and others. A lot of times in in our society, things are are done very much based on self-preservation. And Rahab certainly here is wanting to know what she needs to do to save herself. But notice... She asked the question, how do I get God to save me? (laughs) How do I get his people to deal kindly with me, not try to figure this thing out for herself and rescue herself? She realizes that this salvation is up to someone else. A remarkable thing here happens. She's not content to just save herself. She wants her whole family to be saved. Put that in contrast to another Bible character, Lot from the book of Genesis, who has a difficult time saving his family from Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife is the one who turns to a pillar of salt. I wonder what the difference is. 
How can Lot, who was so closely associated with Abraham and experienced all the blessings uh, of being connected with God, have such a difficult time with his family and Rahab be able to save her whole family, an extended family? It may be a level of conviction. It, It may be how desperately it was wanted. I think in our time, we are maybe focused on saving ourselves, but we're not always interested in rescuing other people, especially the people who maybe are getting it wrong or we don't like or or we have some issue with. Maybe we feel like they don't deserve to be saved, but that's unfortunate because those are exactly the people that God came to rescue, and we need to be part of that mission of reconciliation. We need to take very seriously the idea that God came to rescue everyone and and look at every circumstance and every person that crosses our path as an opportunity to join God in that redeeming work. There are parables in the New Testament that that teach us that we should be prepared for the return of Jesus and, and that Preparation for that means that we're going about that business of teaching and sharing and trying to reconcile and that there will be a final judgment and those who are unfaithful to that cause will have to suffer the consequences. Just as Jericho suffers the consequences of not being on board with Rahab, Rahab was the only one that was rescued out of there because she was the one that genuinely had a a trust in God. There are going to be people even in our churches, I'm afraid, that that are judged harshly because they're not actually pledging allegiance to God. They're asking God to pledge allegiance to them. Do you believe that there is a final judgment coming? How do you plan to be prepared? What will you do to be ready when the master returns? God is not going to care how you stuck it to someone on Facebook. He's not going to care how many uh, hateful tweets that you posted. He's going to care about how you interacted with people who were hurting, who were scared, who were afraid that they were going to incur some kind of judgment, and whether or not you were willing to help them find God and his will for their life. I hope that you'll allow this seed to be planted, that you'll meditate on it, that you'll let it grow, that you'll nurture it and see the importance of pledging allegiance to God by reaching out and helping those who are on the margin who need God in their life. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.